Welcome to Old Fashioned Finance, the podcast that mixes cocktails and high finance. I'm your host, Jason Demland, and I am joined as always and in the future by my good friend and fellow money muddler, Caleb Frankert. Jason, can a podcast about finance be entertaining? Not without alcohol. Well, all right, let's mix it up. (laughs) How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well. Caleb, it's a good day because the sun is out and I'm recording this podcast with you. How are you? Yeah, I'm I'm doing really well. The sun, uh, it's here. Remember the sun? It was like 60 degrees out today. I had forgotten about it. Being in the frigid Midwest, it Mm -hmm. is usually very gray and cold and March is like false spring. We all get our hopes up that the winter is ending once March comes along, but it's, it's not. We, we kind of had a little dose of this on Sunday, right? And uh, I think we, we maybe got a little overzealous. My wife was trying to do gardening, believe it or not. It was still February. Uh, and then Monday and Tuesday hit. It was cold again. But today, there's hope out there, man. There is hope out there. It's warm. We're talking about some stuff. I think it should be all right. Yeah. So, uh, Jason, what are we sipping on today, by the way? Today, Caleb... We're drinking down some old fashions. Ah, old fashions. We are rolling with the OG, if you will. Right? OG, original gangster for those of you out there uh, who are not as hip as we are. Everyone is at least as (laughs) hip as we are. (laughs) Yeah, man. We think the original cocktail is a good first drink for our first episode. Uh, It's one of David Embry's six essential cocktails. Uh, so our recipe that we're using is from his penultimate book, The Fine Art of Mixing Drinks. I think it's a it's a great place to start, the original cocktail. Yeah, yeah. As you said, this is our first podcast. Um, why not start out with the arguably first cocktail? Uh, you mentioned David Embry's Fine Art of Mixing Drinks, which uh, many kind of mm, regard yes. as the Bible of drink mixing, right? That, that's a perfect place to start. And uh, what we've got going right now is, you know, for those of you out there listening who would like to join us with a drink, 12 parts American whiskey. So that's kind of ambiguous, right? Plug and play favorite whiskey. Uh, one part simple syrup, one to three dashes of Angostura bitters. And uh, what we do with that, Jason, in an old-fashioned glass, or a lowball, as some would say, add the bitters, simple syrup, and stir. Add about an ounce of whiskey. Stir again. Add two cubes of cracked but not crushed ice and top it off with the rest of the whiskey. Twist the lemon peel over the top and serve garnished with the lemon peel and a maraschino cherry. Sounds yummy. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Caleb, what financial topic are these old fashions making less boring? Yeah, uh, it is the age-old debate, uh, an old-fashioned one, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) I see Um, what you did there. Pretty cool, right? Should you pay off all of your debt before investing? Wow. Well, okay, this should be a good one uh, because this is not necessarily a one-size-fits-all answer. It it dovetails really good uh, with the old-fashioned. We can... We can treat this with a heavy dose of nuance. Uh, We get asked this question quite a bit, uh, being professional financial advisors during the day when we're not drinking old fashions, sometimes when we are. Uh, So I think think we can have a good talk about this. Yeah, you said, you know, it's something we're asked about all the time. The last time I was asked this question was yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, and that's not the reason for this. I, I mean, we we did this independently of my appointment yesterday. But yeah, it's pretty common for us to have this discussion. It's a, a bit of a controversial topic. Uh, there's no lack of opinions out there. We've worked with hundreds of people with hundreds of viewpoints, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I know even you and I don't always see eye to eye on this. I mean, we mostly do, but it's mostly. it's just the fact that I'm so much taller than you. <laughs> You are an above average man. That is high praise. I I th- I thank you for this compliment. Uh, <laughs> are you going to call me below average? Nope. Nope. <laughs> We're moving along. This this topic is such a good fit with old fashions because uh, there are, are so many ways to go about it. I think this cocktail, the old fashioned, is is something so simple, but something that everyone almost that I've come across does it differently. If you Google it, there are as many recipes as there are Google sites. 
internet sites. <laughs> Google sites? <laughs> yes. On the, if, you, if you go out to the Google... When right? I went out on, on the, the line. line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Everyone thinks they're doing the old-fashioned the right way. So people can get really passionate about it. I know you and I feel kind of the same way. But there's plenty of ways out there that work just fine. Uh, so I, I think this is that's what makes these two topics go together. Yeah, cool, man. I, I don't know about you. I'm ready to bow down and get after it, my dude. Um, why don't you give yeah. us a little of uh, some background on the old-fashioned? Yeah, so we're not cocktail experts by any means. We're financial advisors by trade, but we are very, very interested in cocktails. Uh, And very, very amateur, by the way, at cocktails. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Amateur mixologists, professional financial advisors. I Uh, like that. (laughs) So I did some research, uh, quite a bit of reading. Um, And you'd think that something as simple as the old fashioned would have been canonized a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because of this drink popping up well before prohibition, it's got a muddied past. Prohibition ruined everything as far as drinking <laughs> goes. <laughs> but the cocktail is the mixed drink. The old fashioned is probably a reference to how a cocktail was made. So we could talk about the old fashioned as as the first of a, its kind, as as a primordial booze. Oh, if you will. Oh, that yeah, is that's good. That's beautiful. <laughs> I know that feels good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the earliest records we can find of it or that I could find or that anybody on the Internet out there on the line could find, <laughs> as far as I could tell, was uh, an article from the Balance and Columbian Repository of 1806. And uh, I would like to read that for you right now, if, if I could. Yeah, let's hear it. All right. So this is a letter to the editor. Uh, I'm going to play the part of the person submitting the letter as well as the editor. And uh, bear with me here, because this was written in old-timey English from 1806. (laughs) All the S's looked like F's back then. And you can Uh, can find this. Google has this. Well, that's Um, how you know it's old-timey. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) So it starts like this. Communication. To the editor of The Balance. Sir, I observe in your paper of the sixth instant, in the account of a Democratic candidate for a seat in the legislature, marked under the head of loss, 25, do. Cocktail. Will you be so obliging as to inform what is meant by this species of refreshment? Though a stranger to you, I believe from your general character, you will not suppose this request to be impertinent. I have heard of a jorum, of phlegm cutter and fog driver, of wetting the whistle and moistening the clay, of a syllop, a spur in the head, quenching a spark in the throat, of slip and see, but never in my life, though I have lived a good many years, did I hear of cocktail before. Is it peculiar to a part of this country, or is it a late invention? Is the name expressive of the effect which the drink has on a particular part of the body? (laughs) (laughs) Or does it signify that the Democrats who take the potion are turned topsy-turvy and have their heads where their tails should be? I should think the latter to be the real solution, but am unwilling to determine finally until I receive all the information in my power. At the beginning of the revolution, a physician publicly recommended the moss which grew on a tree as a substitute for tea. He found on experiment that it had more of a stimulating quality than he approved, and therefore, he afterwards as publicly denounced it. Whatever cocktail is, it may be properly administered only at certain times and to certain constitutions. A few years ago, when the Democrats were bawling for Jefferson and Clinton, one of the polls was held in the city of New York at a place where ice cream was sold. Their temperament, then, was remarkably adult and bilious. Something was necessary to cool them. Now, when they are sunk into frigidity, it may be equally necessary, by cocktail, to warm and rouse them. I hope you will construe nothing that I have said as disrespectful. I read your paper with great pleasure, and with it the most extensive circulation, whether you answer my inquiry or not. I shall still remain yours, a subscriber. And the editor answers thus. As I make it a point never to publish anything under my editorial head but what I can explain, I shall not hesitate to gratify the curiosity of my inquisitive correspondent. Cocktail, then, is a stimulating liquor composed of spirits of any kind, sugar, water, and bitters. It is vulgarly called bittered sling, and is supposed to be an excellent electioneering potion, inasmuch as it renders the heart stout and bold, at the same time that it fuddles the head. It is said also to be of great use to a democratic candidate, because a person having swallowed a glass of it 
is ready to swallow anything else. There you wow. have it, folks. That's the first definition of a cocktail. Sounds like an old-fashioned. Yeah, so uh, people don't talk like that anymore. <laughs> I, you know, no, they have that, a way. I mean, that's classy. Yeah, I mean, they had a way of insulting somebody, right? It <laughs> sounded just not insulting. Civilized, very, very civilized. I mean, we we talk. Let's not get political on this show here, but <laughs> but talking about politics, man, it, it's charged right now. When you talk about politics, it was it was charged back then. This guy's getting a swipe in without. I I don't know. That's a classy, really sharp, backhanded way at, at those Jeffersonians. Really, yeah, them. yeah. No, I like it. Um, sometimes I wish we still talked old timey, Jason. I don't know about you. <laughs> I know, especially how they're describing the drink there. I don't think we can do a better job than that. Right. I mean, let's boil it down. Uh, you, you put some booze in a glass, you put some sweet in a glass, you put some bitter <laughs> in a glass, and it'll get you drunk. Is that yeah. what he was saying? Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> no, no. No, no. Oh, I <laughs> missed said it. that far more carelessly <laughs> That's true. than he was... did. Uh, this subscriber to the uh, Balance and Columbian Repository he had his stuff together. This is pre-prohibition, and he's describing a cocktail. And I'm not sure if they're bashing the cocktail or not in this. Uh, they're sh- certainly bashing some political enemies. Yeah, I think they're using the cocktail to bash their political enemies. Uh, I got neutral on the cocktail out of that. That, 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 that was <laughs> yeah. The, the... It was it was more of a tool to make fun of their political <laughs> opponents. But at least, but this is the this is the first. Or the the earliest appearing definition of a cocktail that we have, um, and it's it's very vague. But over two hundred I mean, years ago, I mean, it's probable probable that people he were wrote that with, with a feather, spirit. probably right. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> he was dipping it in ink that was made in some ridiculous way, drawing out these letters like these S's, uh, S's that look like F's. And they yeah. look like huge F's and you don't know when cuz sometimes they look like regular S's but uh-huh. but you just knew because it was 1806 and you were a classy dude and you could write big fancy S's that look like F's whenever it seemingly you felt like it and you could you could uh, ask deep questions yeah. like the origin of a cocktail and how it relates to ice cream and bash your political foes all while yeah. doing that right <laughs> yeah, so man. That was cool research. Um, you know, I did a little bit uh, of research as well, just, uh, you know, some fun facts. And uh, this one's a little old timey, too. Um, you know, there was uh, someone who wrote in um, actually, and I'm not I don't have it in front of me uh, where he wrote in. Um, he, he just calls himself old timer. This was 1936. So to put that in perspective, over 100 years after uh, uh, the letter that you shared with us, right? Uh, but old timer says time was when affable and sympathetic bartender uh, moistened a lump of sugar with Angostura bitters, dropped in a lump of ice, neither too large nor too small. That's very scientific. Uh, <laughs> stuck in a miniature bar spoon and get this pass the glass to the client with a bottle of good bourbon from which said client was privileged to pour his own drink. In most places, the price was 15 cents or two for a quarter. That? Should we not be doing it that way? Just pour me the bottle. What just bring has, me the just just send me the bottle. I'll pour what I want. <laughs> what have we become? Right. <laughs> I mean, that's honor system right there. No, that's that's great. So you can really you can flavor to taste with the amount of spirits <laughs> that you like. I like that. Uh, that's good. Old timer. That, so 1936. That's that's post prohibition. Right. Uh, we had we had ended that with the glorious 21st Amendment. And he's and writing I, in about how things used to be. Yeah, yeah, the good old days. I think he, I think old timer was complaining about how prohibition ruined the old fashioned. Hmm. Um, I don't know about you, but I got to say, I, if this is ruined, I, I'm kind of okay with it. I, I'm liking what we're drinking right now. Yeah, it seems like uh, we had these good distilled spirits, and then prohibition came, and so you had to make them in your bathtub. So they're like, hey, you know what? I'm going to throw some cherries and some juice in there because this kind of yeah. tastes like it might kill you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, get out the, uh, you know, the people bathing taste, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Because that was back in a time when everyone in the family used that bathtub in a row. Right, right. Oh, man. All right. All right. 
Oh yeah. What is? I mean, we've uh, we've done some research, obviously. Um, you know, more fun than than the historical research. I'm a history buff, so I like the history part of it. But uh, more fun than that was trying out a bunch of different recipes. You know, why don't why don't you share some of the different things that we did in our our research for this episode, Jason? Yeah, man. Let me pull out my notepad because we did some extensive research that was entirely scientific in nature, and we had no fun doing none. It. <laughs> but we had found that there was a lot of differing opinions on old fashions and in our novice brains, since we are amateur mixologists, uh, we thought it was pretty straightforward. I, I didn't even know that people were using different liquors. So yeah, um, some people posit that the gin old fashioned was really the first old fashioned, which, you know, that could be, that could be likely gin as a, as a spirit is been distilled probably longer than American whiskey. Uh, so we tried out a gin old fashioned mm-hmm. uh, and simply stated it smelled like barbicide. You know, the blue stuff at the barber yeah. shop. Yeah, I, I have tasted, to agree. I, what do you think it tasted like? You know, it was just OK for me, dog. <laughs> <laughs> I Yeah, the, the smell was it was I mean, it was off putting a little bit. Um the redeeming quality there, I think, was the finish was very orangey. And I, I like gin. I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that I like gin. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, not, uh, uh, I'm not 75 years old, but uh, I don't think you have to be to enjoy gin. Gin usually plays well with other um, mixers, and I, I don't think it played real well in that mix, honestly. Yeah, and uh, that could vary based on the kind of gin we use. Uh, I did have one with a barrel-aged gin. It was much better. Uh, yeah. One, one gin we used is the Botanist, which is really juniper, piney forward. But uh, So I could get getting a barrel-aged gin in there and, and tasting a little a little better. But, man, there's so many different ways to do this. What about uh, our Wisconsinite friends swear <laughs> by the brandy old-fashioned? Uh, we had that together. Yeah, so I normally I would say I like the way Wisconsin does things. Uh, I mean, the land of cheese. If you look at me, you know I like cheese. Uh, you grew up on a dairy farm, for crying out loud. Uh, normally I would say, oh, this is how the Wisconsinites do it? I'm for it. I'm for it. Man, it was not uh, ringing the right bells for me. I love old fashions, and I would drink this. But the brandy old fashioned to me tasted like banana runts. So weird, right? I mean, there's nothing in there that says this is going to taste like bananas when you're mixing it. Maybe this varies based on the kind of sweetener and based off the kind of brandy uh, and the bitters. I don't know. Uh, People smarter than us probably know that. But Mm -hmm. I tried that one and was uh, it tasted like banana runts, which is the worst runt. It is. My kids leave the banana runts. That's yeah. So and it's made of sugar. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) all right. So the brandy old fashioned and the gin old fashioned were not, they were not great. Okay. What else did we do? I just looked through some of the other, the other, um, passionately defended old fashioned recipes. So rye is definitely a favorite. If you like a spicier tasting old fashioned, we had rye versus bourbon old fashions and I am a bourbon fan. I know you are too. Yeah. And, the bourbon old fashions were distinctively sweeter, as you'd expect, with that corn flavor. I, the, the the high well, corn, yeah, content. yeah, the high corn sweetness. It's a different kind of sweetness, but yeah, it, it's a little sweet. You know me. Typically, my favorite mixed drink is low ball glass, pour <laughs> bourbon neat, drink bourbon, rinse repeat. I like bourbon mixed with <laughs> air and the glass that it's in. Yeah, man, I get it. But yeah, it tasted a little sweet. So I think both of us were preferring rye old fashions with rye yeah. as the base base spirit. And the the spicier the rye, the better. I had tried a few with, uh, we did some, um, I had Michter's, I did mm-hmm. a Sagamore Spirit. And what do we have in the office? Uh, Redemption rye, which Redemption. I really liked. Yes, that was good. But all, all, of the, all of the rye old fashions I had, I liked more than the bourbon old fashions that I was making. So keeping all the variables the same, except for the, the spirit, uh, which we, you know, we use Bullet and Woodford and... Actually, I had a bottle of uh, Old Forester. And, okay. I, you know, I bought that because I thought, I, I'm just going to use this as a mix, uh, just a mixer. And uh, it was it was fine. But uh, even buying a cheaper rye, um, I don't know. I, I'm not going to drink rye by itself typically, but I, I feel like it makes the old-fashioned sing. I totally went into this thinking, you know, just give me a good bourbon you know, light on the sweet and that's my jam, but, uh, not the case, man. The rye, um, 
I think I like the orange peel a little bit better than the lemon. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a fan of the cherry. <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm I'm out on the cherry, man. I just said earlier, it tastes like an alcohol infused Jolly Rancher, which I guess some people really like. That might be an idea, though. Rye infused uh, Jolly Ranchers. That's another um, podcast. That's another. That is podcast. another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, did anything shock you or throw you for a loop in this process? No. <laughs> surprise, surprise! I like bourbon. I yeah, an old fashioned is a classic for a reason. It's really good. It is. It's old fashioned. I mean, it is the cocktail. People are highly, highly opinionated about the wrong ways, the right ways to make an old fashioned, to make a mixed drink in general. Mm-hmm. Diving into our financial planning topic, is there a wrong or a right way to tackle the issue of investing while you're in debt, Jason? This is perfect to talk talk about now because I've just finished that David Embry's old fashioned that we made. And so now I am comfortable enough talking about <laughs> this topic. Yeah, investing while you're in debt, there there's a lot of ways to look at this. So I'm going to look at it from the math point of view. And mm-hmm. this is how a lot of uh, financial planning professionals go about it. This is how a lot of people with giant degrees and lots of letters after their name talk about it. And it's not necessarily something I 100% agree with, but you have to consider the impacts of the math when you think about investing mm-hmm. while you're in debt. So like the average person is is at a job that maybe has a match for their 401k or their 403b or whatever, or they could contribute to a Roth IRA with some of their disposable income instead of spending it on subscriptions or whatever. Uh, But they probably have a bunch of debt. They probably have some student loan debt. The average person has credit card debt, a car loan, as well as maybe a mortgage if they're in that position. So the idea of this is really talking about interest rates and time value of money. And if you go that route, Really, any interest rate that is higher than the perceived return that you could get on an investment. So let's say you think you can get 8% a year on your Roth IRA, or you think you can get 8% a year on your 401k that your company's matching 100% of some of your contribution on. You're going to think, well, any interest rate that is higher than that, I should prioritize paying that off before I pay off or before I stop investing. And any interest rate that's lower than that, you're going to want to keep that around. You're not going to want to pay that off. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you know what? Um, to that point, I, I mean, don't be offended when I say nerds because I, I totally count myself in this category. But I've seen the nerds out there, you know, run a spreadsheet. And you know, this is the break even point. If you're thinking about paying this off versus investing, this is what we've got to return. You, you can really get into the weeds with this stuff, right? Absolutely. I mean, is that the way, the right way to approach it, though? Well, that's how I intend to approach it right now, just to show okay. you. The math way works. If you are in a vacuum, if you are a robot person, and so if you're an engineer by trade, you're probably going to do things this way. I, yeah. I, I run into a lot of engineers. I respect them. Some of the smartest people I know. Um, but being a financial planner, when I talk to them, I better have some Excel skills or they're not going to they're not going to look at me twice. They're not going to consider a single thing I say. And yeah. so if you're one of those types, this method may work. You've accumulated some debt. Maybe you've done a cost benefit analysis of whether it was smart to get it or not already. And if you're these types, you probably have. Uh, but you're going to map out interest rates. You're going to do time value of money calculations. You're going to see that, yes, I have a mortgage. And it is, I have a two and a half percent interest rate right now because interest rates are at historic lows and I have a 15 year term. I'm not going to prioritize paying off my mortgage over investing in my retirement accounts because that's going to yield a bigger return. And maybe when you look at the type of debt matters a lot. So you you have to really look at that too. I, I, I have gotten into arguments with people about the phrase good debt. Because it <laughs> seems like an oxymoron. There's no such thing as good debt. But I get that financing a house, for example, which is a huge purchase, having the ability to get a loan for that really gets people forward. You get put in a home. Uh, you you can build equity. You have a place to live on. Maybe you're maybe going to pay rent anyway. So I get that. Uh, there are some things that I personally am totally against financing. And it's anything on a credit card. It's any vehicle at all. If it has a motor and it depreciates, you should not get a loan on it, in my opinion. Uh, So the hot button issues really are just mortgage and student loans, uh, because the biggest investment you can make is in your income earning potential. So this is really where I I just want to say, 
with definitively, you should pay off your credit card debt <laughs> and you should pay off your personal loans and your title loans and, and any consumer debt. You should pay that off before you really invest aggressively. And we'll talk about what to do about the match that you get. Okay. Because I was about to jump in and we'll and talk about wholeheartedly that. agree with you, but right? Even so, before I let you have the mic, I still stand <laughs> firm that even so, even with that, and we're, we'll fight about that in a little bit, but I think that consumer debt should be paid off completely before you even consider m- contributing to your 401k to match. And I know that's controversial, but I'm the math guy here, so I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Um, There's the, no gray area with math, Jason. <laughs> I'm, I can't do it. My bleeding heart just pops out and I just, my emotions cloud my judgment. Um, uh-huh. But so I think with 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 student loans or with the mortgage, it can get it can get more muddy because you're trying to predict what kind of returns you're going to get. You don't know what kind of returns you're definitely going to get, but you can look at the historical returns of, say, the S&P 500 and feel pretty confident that you're going to yeah. be within a certain band of of, you know, positive returns over the long, long time horizons. I, I always say averages are average for a reason, right? I mean, history is on your side. Uh, You know, when you're talking about the mortgage, I think that's a big one. If you were to pay everything off and save up, you know, to the point where you have cash to pay for a house, you might not be buying a house until you're, for some people, ready to retire, right? Right, right. And at historically low interest rates, I I get it. I get it. But on the flip side, we are not encouraging credit card debt or, you know, auto loan debt and things like that necessarily. Um, Student loans, that's really muddy still. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Because like you said, that is the biggest investment you can make in yourself, your earning potential. You know, there's the debate, and maybe this is a different podcast. I don't know. There's the debate, uh, you know, about um, how to best invest in your uh, earning potential, right? Is college the way? Uh, Is, you know, Ivy League the only way to go? I mean, there's a lot of of options out there. That probably is a different podcast. Uh, Maybe we ought to put that one on ice. Let's put that on ice. We'll come back to it later. <laughs> See what I did there? I do. That's very clever. <laughs> so I, we've talked a little bit about the math, right? And and I think that there's a side of my brain that agrees with you, right? I can put pen to the paper. I can get on my Excel sh- uh, spreadsheet and just completely nerd out. And there's a part of me that just wants to do that all day long. Uh, but there's the behavioral side of things too. So, you know, I'm going to advocate on, on the behavioral side of things. There is something to be said uh, about... Um, the, the fact that you're in debt to somebody, um, it makes you behave differently, right? And conversely, <laughs> not owing anybody any money makes you walk around a little bit differently, right? I mean, when you see somebody walking along the sidewalk that doesn't owe anybody, um, that's a different person. That's a dangerous person, right? There is something to be said about waking up every morning going to work because you want to, not because you have to. You're not a slave to any debt, right? Yeah. So th- there's there's that behavioral side of it. What it does to your psychology, I think, is super important. Um, you know, I, I can be an emotional guy. I think we all can be. And sometimes, um, no matter what you do with the pen and the paper and the Excel spreadsheets and the math, the nerd side of you is going to be overruled by the emotions, right? Yep. Um, I mean, you can, you can say that for a lot of areas of life. Uh, money... Is not uh, excused from the conversation. Uh, It's interesting. We talked a little bit before about, um, you know, how often we have this conversation. And uh, I had an appointment pop up on the calendar yesterday. Uh, It was a uh, a young couple who was referred to me by uh, a local center of influence here, a a great attorney that we work with. Um, You know, she she brought up some, uh, uh, I I guess, some concerns to the attorney because that's who she trusts. And he said, you, you know, you really got to go talk to these guys. They, they, they're going to definitely put you on the right path. And it was that age old question, right? Uh, their situation essentially was this, we're 24 years old. We are college graduates. We've got good jobs, right? We're making okay money, but, uh, she just fell into a situation where she, um, took on some at at first part-time work, right? But in the matter of a couple months, uh, it's blossomed into something else and she's almost doubling her income. So, you know, the idea there was, wow, I'm doubling my income in a matter of a couple of months. How do I not screw this up? The question was, (laughs) how do I invest these funds? You know, how do I use this opportunity to put ourselves in the best situation going forward? And 
you know, I, I told them as we went through the, um, you know, the debt income assets conversation, the discovery conversation, don't be discouraged because this is probably not what you want to hear. The best thing you can do, right? They had about $100,000 in student loans, some car debt, some credit card debt. Uh, you know, we looked at that as an opportunity to let's start let's start paying off some of these debts. I told them, you know, when you walk out of here, the first thing you need to do is pay off the credit card, right? Mm-hmm. And then we need to start looking at the auto loan and, and the the student loans. The reason for that really is they're 24 years old, right? And they're having this this conversation. They're they're already on the right track, right? I mean, a lot of times we're having this conversation with somebody in their 50s or 60s, and it's almost like ah, it might be too late. We we got to. We got to somehow juggle both, right? Yeah. But, you know, my recommendation in that situation was, you know, if we really buckle down, uh, we can probably pay all of this stuff off by the time that we're 30. No lie. I mean, that's a dangerous person going to work at 30 years old, not owing anybody anything in the world, right? Yeah. So are they forfeiting some benefits up front? Um, you know, could we put that extra, you know, the, the that extra income essentially in the markets? And, and grow the, the money? Yeah, absolutely, we could. But is that what's going to put them in the best situation? That's where the, the debate roars, I guess. Well, yeah, because I want to jump in and say they're 24 years old. Have you heard of compound interest, Caleb? <laughs> I've you, heard of it. <laughs> are you aware of the compounding effect of money? And I, I, you know, I wrestle with that in my head, too, whenever, whenever we're going through these situations, you know, because it is it is harder when someone is closer to retirement or that goal of retiring or stopping their job. Uh, but really the, the result, the resulting advice is usually the same compounding either works for you or against you. If you have a bunch of debt, it's working against you. If it's working for you, uh, you it's in your investment. So that, that's a great point. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. That's a great point because I don't think many people look at it that way. They look at how it benefits you, but yeah, it, I mean, Again, we can get into the math and talk about uh, a mortgage, right, and a low interest rate. But what are you paying up front? That compounding is not working in your favor. That's right. And I, you, you know, you, your side of this argument uh, talking about the behavior part, I, I think that it does trump the math. It depends on you as a person. If you are an extremely disciplined, uh, very analytical kind of person. I think you can probably structure your debts. Hopefully you didn't get into debt in the first place, but if if you you could probably structure your debts, you're the kind of person that doesn't need to debt snowball from smallest to largest. You debt snowball the mathematical way from highest mm-hmm. interest rate to lowest. And that's awesome. From highest risk to lowest risk. That's great. But behavior trumps this and an experience shows this that if you can get yourself pumped with some victories with the feeling of of being debt free, it kind of overpowers the feeling of just having money yeah. invested in an account. I, I said, and I we just heard another advisor uh, talk about this, but I have never, ever been called up or nobody has ever just like nudged me and been like, hey, man, I just want, did you notice that I got a million dollars in my 401k? Just, that's pretty cool. That's never happened. And, you know, no. it's great when I, usually I'm the one that brings it up. I'm like, hey, just so you know, our plan is working great. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> you have a million dollars. I helped you become a millionaire, <laughs> right. even though you did most of the work. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, on the on the contrary, somebody that has paid off 100% of their debt, they are they are completely debt free, like including their house. These people, usually mostly the house, they're like, Jason, I paid my house off. I'm walking That's- on air. That's cause for celebration, right? Yeah, they're like, let's pop, let's pop some champagne. Let's make me an old fashioned. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, du- they're let's do double the rye on that one, right? There are people that have parties to burn their mortgages when they pay it off because they feel free. They're like, I am not owned by anyone. I owe yeah. no one. People don't. You don't have that same psychological behavioral benefit. By amassing a bunch of wealth, even though even though you have the money in an account, and as soon as you turn fifty nine and a half, you could take money out of your account and pay your house off. It, it could be the same thing, but but just being out from under that oppressive thumb of a lender, yeah, uh, changes things about you. Like you said, you act differently. You you have less risk. You can you can really bear down and and focus and and hopefully. In a lot of cases, I think make up for the lost time that you had, uh, because now you've got a lot more free income, 
hopefully later in life, you you have a lot bigger shovel, a lot bigger income coming in, not let alone mm-hmm. freed up income because you don't have all those debt service payments and you can right. make some progress catching up and compounding will still work for you then. Well, and, and you know, I think that uh, as financial planners, what we do for a living, I, I mean, most of the time, uh, there, there are times where we get a hold of that young 24 year old who, you know, they grab you by the shirt and they say, don't let me screw this up. Don't let me screw this up. What's the right way to do this, right? That's pretty rare, actually, right? Um, typically, those people are focused on signing up for all the student loans they can. You know, they <laughs> they want that free t-shirt at the baseball game, so they just got another credit card, that kind they of stuff. Do that right? that they don't do that anymore. That was just They don't do that anymore? No, that oh, was just okay. when we were younger. <laughs> wow. So I'm feeling a little bit older now. But I think it's illegal, but all of my cool <laughs> Tostitos t-shirts and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I I think where we're typically um, meeting folks is, and I tell clients this all the time. If you're my client, you've probably heard me say this. Hey, look, you've done the hard work. It's my job to not screw this up, right? Mm -hmm. We are meeting with these folks most of the time when they are at retirement and they need help making decisions or they're in the red zone, right? They're about ready to retire. So how do we make decisions over the next few years to make sure that we get the retirement that we want? As a planner, it's so much easier to plan with people who are used to a budget and, and, you know, you you don't pay off debt without a budget folks, right. Uh, Who are able to budget and live within their means. If you are not servicing a ton of debt, we can create the kind of income that you need to live off of a little bit more um, predictably. We can be a little bit more flexible. It makes our job a ton easier, right? So when someone walks in our doors and they say, Hey, I don't owe anybody, anything great. We're going to figure this out. Right. Yeah. I think that's really challenging is house payment, boat payment, car payments. Oh, yeah. Credit cards, all of the above. Right. You know, if you've got a sweet pension that will cover all your payments, then more power to you. I I get that. We have a lot of uh, blue collar workers that have old pensions that that do that exact thing. But for the average person, it's tough. It's tough to keep the lifestyle of payments going. And and most people realize they need to be debt free before retirement, or at least that's a good goal. And and. I think so with this debate, I mean, we haven't said much of a debate. This is it's it's get out of debt. It's a good thing. But so there are harder parts about this. So let's yeah. say like I, you should pay off your debt before you invest a bunch. But there mm-hmm. are folks and and myself and my wife are, are fall into this camp where you start to think about your financial lives at whatever age it was. Thankfully, we were we were pretty young. Yeah ourselves, but I know lots of people that are, you know, in their mid fifties or sixties or even seventies before they're like, Hey, I should maybe think about doing things differently where you've got a ton of debt. In our case, it was student loan debt, six figures of student loan debt, car Mm. payment, um, some credit card debt, you know, for big Macs and laptops. Like, so you find out crap, I've got a really big pile of debt. I've got, you know, Whatever your income is, it, it almost says, unless your income is great, then that's a, a six figures of debt is a big problem. Yeah. How long do I wait? Because even if I focus laser with a laser intensity to get out of debt, it's going to be years. Like it might be unless yeah. my income comes up or I, I win the lottery or I come into an inheritance. It's going to be seven years before I can get out of debt because I went to school for six years for a degree in the humanities or underwater basket weaving. And now I can't get a job. <laughs> Oh, you know, and that's 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 a lot of people's uh, reality. So when do you when do you draw that line? When do you say, hey, it's going to be too long? I should I should at least take advantage of my employer's match. Yeah, see that that is tough. Okay, and and we're going to cross over again the math side versus the behavior side, right? Like you said earlier, if you're that you know if you're the engineer type, right, and you can. You can put the budget together, you can execute on the budget, and you're just insanely disciplined about things, right? I, I think if you look at the scenario and you say, look, the next two, three years are going to suck, right? I, I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to eat nothing. I'm going to have no hobbies. I'm going to work to get out of debt. If you can do that, everything you can throw at it, in my opinion, is the answer. Here's where I have a problem. And sometimes, to my own detriment, I plan for the worst case scenario, right? And look, I know me, right? Uh, I can be the most disciplined person for the shortest amount of time. (laughs) Uh, You know, think of dieting for crying out loud. Um, You know, I can lose 30 pounds like that, man. But keeping it off for the long term is tough. The problem is if you do the numbers 
And, and in your case, you said, it's going to be seven years before we're out of debt, right? Mm-hmm. There is a chance, and I'm not saying that this is the plan, but there is a chance if you're not making progress and you're not checking things off the list and paying things off that you get discouraged. You get sick of not going out to eat. You get sick of not taking vacations and you call, you know, you, you just call it quits. Mm-hmm. The next thing you know, you're seven to 10 years down the road and you're still not contributing to retirement. Well, retirement is seven to 10 years closer, whether you want it to be or not. You know, I, I personally, the way that I look at that, and, and I, I have a hard time saying no to free money. <laughs> yeah. If I'm working and my employer's going to match, there's a part of me that says, you know, you got to give or you got to contribute up to the match. If it's 3%, put the 3% in. You're probably not going to miss it. It's pre-tax in most cases anyway. I mean, if you got a Roth option, that's great too. I think you take advantage of that. But um, take advantage of the free money. I, I mean, I've, I've told many people uh, in the past when looking at 401k plans and things of that nature, you know, sometimes a small employer has a 401k and the options aren't fantastic. If they're matching, you know, you put 3% in, they put 3% in. I don't care what the investments are. Your return right out of the gates is 100%. That's free money. It's hard to say no to that. It's hard to beat a 100% return on your investment. I get yeah. that. I, I come down more on the side with, with a little less nuance. I think with the exception of your mortgage on your primary house, every debt should be paid off before you drop a dime into investing. And this is assuming that you've got all your other st- all your other bases covered, like risk management things, which, which maybe we'll talk about on some other podcasts, but an emergency fund, life insurance, your will, disability insurance, all that stuff, that comes before. If you've got that, you need to get out of debt with, a, with, with all of your might. And if it does take you seven years, it takes you seven years, but you're out of debt now. Then you start saving. You know, a good rule of thumb is 15% of your, your gross income for retirement. You do that before you you pay your mortgage off and then and then aggressively pay your mortgage down. I think that's probably the best set of of rules of thumb to follow. Um and I you know and for myself this is this is the path that I took except I veered off of it so many times. So I'm looking yeah. back on hindsight saying if I would have just buckled down, I didn't I couldn't say no to the match at one of the corporate corporate employers that I had and I was all over the place breaking rules, taking out extra loans here and there. And you look back and I say like, boy, if I just would have been a little more focused and yeah. that makes it a little easier too, from a behavior standpoint, what's your financial mission right now? And it's easy for me to say to some of our younger clients, your mission right now is to get out of debt. You take well, I, everything and you throw it at debt. You don't need to even pay me for extra financial planning because you only <laughs> have one mission. We, and we've had that conversation, right? There's yes. many times that I've, I've uh, had the conversation with a client where I said, look, here's what I recommend. And we talk about, well, how do we work with you going forward? Well, here's the problem. You know, maybe I charge X amount per month uh, to consult, right? But that doesn't fit into the getting out of debt plan. Uh, I'm not going to do that, right? Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I, one of the things that you said that really sticks out to me is how old you are when you start this process. Mm-hmm. When we're talking to the 24-year-old who's at least, ah, it's clicking in my mind. I don't want to be in debt forever, right? Um, get after it. Get after it before it gets even bigger. What if you're 50 years old and you've seen the light and you realize, man, I got to get out of debt. Get I after also it. Haven't done, I haven't done a great job of savings. It's going to, uh, of retirement savings. It's going to take me seven years to get out of this. Do you say no to the, the 401k match? You get after it. You're, 50, you're 55. You can get out of debt faster. Something, uh, the, the godfather of personal finance, uh, Dave Ramsey says his stats are something like eight, 18 months people got. It. And you've listened to the show and there's people are like, <laughs> We always joke about it with each other because we're trying to get personal motivation. And it's like, right. we got out of debt in 18 months. How much did you pay off? Well, it was $350,000. Making what? $1.3 million a year. I'm like, well, come on, man. What'd you oh, stop so doing? you did a budget. Congratulations. Yeah. Did you sell your yacht? Is that how you got out of debt? I'm, I'm so proud of you. But uh, I think you just still got to get focused. It's easier when there's just one mission and that's paying off debt. If it, and, you know, it, some people are limited. So I'm not going to be mad at you if you take your your match on your 401k before you've gotten all your consumer debt paid off. Uh, but man, I don't know. So we might not 100% agree on that, but I think what we do agree on is this. No more than the match, right? You shouldn't be sticking anything more than the match in that uh, not, that retirement plan. Not, not while if you've you have got debt. consumer debt. Uh, I mean, the student loan debt is a whole different story. What if the government just forgives that? That so. could be gone tomorrow. <laughs> Let's but not that's talk not a plan. We're not going to plan for that. Um yeah, I mean, so uh, again, I don't know if we've solved anything for anybody. 
<laughs> we, we sure had like fun talking opinions. about it. I had fun. Uh, I think the old fashioned might have helped. Um, that uh, um, is not the most interesting topic uh, for, uh, you know, after five o'clock in the afternoon. But uh, <laughs> that helped, I think. Yeah, man, for sure. So in summary, I think what we've what we've come to is this debt is bad. Yes. If you can help it, don't go into debt. You don't want to be paying 24% for skinny jeans 10 years later, right? <laughs> hey, man. Uh, <laughs> hey, that wasn't a dig at you. Um, <laughs> debt is bad. Consumer debt's bad. Credit card's bad. I'm not even going to get into the rewards points and the airplane mileage and all that kind of stuff. Look, those companies uh, are in business for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the odds are about as good as the slot machines are, I, I think, that, that you come out on top. Um, but in summary... Debt's bad. Get out of debt, right? Because what it should do, and I think one of the things we haven't touched on is the fact that you're not contributing while you're paying on debt, that should hurt. Yeah. It should hurt a little bit and it should motivate you to get that stuff paid off a little bit quicker. Should we? So you you can get, what's that? When you get past that step of paying debt off, you can laser focus on saving like crazy. Use that same intensity, man. Yep. And compound interest is going to work in your favor even more. Um, So I know we didn't cover everything. Uh, This is a topic that could go on and on and on. But if you have any questions out there about this topic, you know, please send us an email. Uh, This is what we do for a living. Any questions regarding this topic or anything that you'd like us to cover uh, can be sent to speakeasy at oldfashionedfinance.com. It is time for questions straight up. I like that. Uh, So this week's question comes from Scott and Scott asks if he's able to pay for his employees student loans and get a tax benefit from it. Hey, that is a great question, Scott. Um, And it's really noble of you to want to do that, I presume. So uh, we did have some tax changes occur with the CARES Act when that rolled out. Uh, That enabled employers to make tax-free payments up to $5,250 towards their employees' student loans. Previously, that was only towards tuition reimbursement for for qualified expenses. So now it it was extended from March 2020 to the end of December 2020. So that ended, except it didn't. Because uh, Donald Trump (laughs) extended with the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021 for five more years. So through December of 2025, you can now pay your employees student loans. So I'm not going to get into specific advice on this, but generally... Uh, you can set this up so that you can, you can pay your employees debts of through, if it's a qualified student loan debt and they won't have to claim it as income and you won't have to claim it as, uh, income either for FICA reasons. So, uh, to, to do this, you need to set up or amend your current section 127 plan, which is the written plan document describing eligibility requirements, benefits, and rules, uh, of operation for it. You got to give a reasonable notification to your employees about that benefit and do not discriminate in favor of highly compensated employees or owners of the company. As long as you don't do that, um, you still can restrict it to certain departments, but it's still it's probably best to just not discriminate at all if you're going to put this plan in. Uh, Section 127 allows for $5,250 of education benefits to your employees. This is what companies have offered tuition reimbursement through previously, like I said. Uh, but now payments can be made directly to the lenders of the student loans or as a reimbursement to the employee. But make sure that you substantiate the payments that are being made. Make, they have to be to qualified education loans. There's IRS publication 970, so you can find out what that actually is. Yeah, folks, work that tax code, right? That's right. Work that tax code. So what we're saying here is something good did come out of COVID after all. When life throws us lemons, we're going to make lemonade or take the lemon peel and mix a drink with it, right? Yeah, since student loan debts are huge, this can be a good benefit to uh, to offer your employees or if you're an employee of a company to ask about uh, because you might get a tuition reimbursement, but you're like, boy, I can't pay to go to college. Maybe they can offer you this benefit to just pay your loans off. It's good information. This is the part of the show when we invite our listeners to speak easy about whatever's on their mind. You see what we did there? Oh. We're very clever, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> this is our uh, the place where uh, we share a recipe or a story or any thoughts or questions or even emotional outbursts. Uh, Jason, did anything come into the speak easy this week? Yeah, man. Actually, Stephanie wrote in with a recipe for a drink. 
She writes this. When I was a kid, our mom made this apricot slush. Is it hmm. is it apricot or apricot? Uh, your mileage may vary. How do we say that here in the Midwest? Uh, okay, so she made this apricot slush, which consisted of apricot nectar, orange juice, brandy, and some other stuff. It was frozen and then chunked up with 7-Up poured over. I remember having this at the holidays, and we were allowed to have some as young kids. Mm. Whoa. My parents weren't big drinkers, but alcohol was present for special occasions, and we had a healthy relationship with it because of how our parents handled it. I might be willing to try that. Yeah. uh, You know, responsible drinking is something we should probably address in every episode. (laughs) Yes, we we should try that. (laughs) We are a fan of responsible drinking. Please don't get drunk on us. Yeah, I uh, I don't know, Jason. I, I think it might be that time. What do you think? Yeah, man. Take us away. Well, thanks, folks, for having a drink with us this week. We really appreciate it, but it's time to close out the tab. If you want your story featured on the Old Fashioned Finance podcast, be sure to email us at speakeasy at oldfashionedfinance.com. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to write us a review on iTunes and share the show with someone you love or just someone who needs a little money muddling themselves. Old Fashioned Finance is brought to you by Blue Jay Financial Group. That's bluejfg.com and produced by Potisteri Studios. We've been your hosts, Jason and Caleb. Cheers. Blue Jay Financial Group, LLC, Blue Jay, is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Ohio. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The presence of this advertisement on this podcast shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by Blue Jay in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant to an applicable state exemption. All verbal and written content on this presentation is for information purposes only. Opinions expressed herein are solely those of Blue Jay, unless otherwise specifically cited. Material presented is believed to be from reliable sources and no representations are made by our firm as to other parties' informational accuracy or completeness. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation.